Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 44, starting in verse 9. All who make idols are nothing, and what they treasure benefits no one. Their witnesses do not see or know anything, so they will be put to shame. Who makes a god or casts a metal image that benefits no one? Look, all its worshipers will be put to shame, and the craftsmen are humans. They all will assemble and stand. They all will be startled and put to shame. The iron worker labors over the coals, shapes the idol with hammers, and works it with his strong arm. Also, he grows hungry and his strength fails. He does not drink water and is faint. The woodworker stretches out a measuring line. He outlines it with a stylus. He shapes it with chisels and outlines it with a compass. He makes it according to a human form, like a beautiful person, to dwell in a temple. He cuts down cedars for his use, or he takes a cypress or an oak. He lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a laurel, and the rain makes it grow. A person can use it for fuel. He takes some of it and warms himself. Also, he kindles a fire and bakes bread. He even makes it into a god and worships it. He makes an idol from it and bows down to it. He burns half of it in a fire, and he roasts meat on that half. He eats the roast and is satisfied. He warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the blaze. He makes a god or his idol with the rest of it. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it, Save me, for you are my god. Such people do not comprehend and cannot understand, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their minds so they cannot understand. No one comes to his senses. No one has the perception or insight to say, I burned half of it in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and ate. Should I make something detestable with the rest of it? Should I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. His deceived mind has led him astray, and he cannot rescue himself or say, Isn't there a lie in my right hand? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son. God, thank you for your church. God, as we endeavor to see all of these things with your eyes, God, I pray that you would meet us where we are. God, I pray that if there are places in our hearts, there certainly are places in our hearts where we don't see you well. And God, I pray that you would enlarge our vision. God, press us where we need to be pressed. But God, continue the work you promised to do. Remake us into the image of your son. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Good afternoon. So I, I, we've been going through this series on idols, and we've been spending a lot of time uh, over the last month and a half or so working through this idea of idolatry and what it means to uh, find great satisfaction in things outside of God. And one thing that we brought up was there are many good things that we can be a part of, good things that are laudable, things that are praiseworthy, uh, that we can turn into idols when we make those things ultimate things. So today I want to talk about something. We've spent some time in the past uh, talking about a theology of work. But I want to ask you this question. 
What are some of your reasons for working? What are some of your reasons for working? This is important. It's vitally important. I hope that all of us really press into this hard because I want to really question some of our motives, right? Some of them, many of them are not bad things. Pay bills. You got bills to pay, right? Families to take care of. Save for retirement. Not bad. Giving to those that are less fortunate. Not bad. Recreation and relaxation. Not bad. All really, really good things. And work helps accomplish all of those necessary things. My question is, what if work is supposed to be something that isn't less than that, but much more than that? What if your work, the way you view your work, not just what you do, but why you do it and how you do it, what if that's supposed to be more than just those things? All those things are important, and you have to do it to get those things accomplished, but what if it's supposed to be more than that? In other words, what if your work is supposed to be worship for you? What would that look like for you? How might that change why you do your job? How might that change how you do your job? If you believed the way that I work is a function of my worship. We know this uh, is the case. We know this is the case throughout Scripture. We see Paul telling the Colossians to do this very thing in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, a very well-known passage. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So think about that. Much in the way that we worship, when we worship, we come together and we say it all the time. We want to sing truths about God to each other and back to God. When we come up to, to preach the word of God, we want to speak the truths about God to each other and back to God. This is what it means to worship, right? Living a life that reflects these truths over and over again. So what, if, what, would, the, what would it look like then if we thought about our jobs the same way, right? In the same way that we corporately worship, what do we say? We say that the object of our worship is whom? It's Jesus. It's God. We, we, when we're worshiping, we're here to lift up the name of Jesus, and we do that on Sunday when we're gathered. How do we do that when we're scattered? I think it's important because I think a lot of us live separate, very disintegrated lives. Our work is work. Work is to get a bunch of stuff done. Sunday, praise is what I do. But Monday through Saturday, we don't really look at our job as something that's a function of our worship. We don't do it enough. You could say this, every area where you see areas of corporate systemic injustice is a place where people's theology and their faith are, are, and their work are not intertwined. The only way you could be a part of something where you harm other people at the workplace is because you've not married your faith, if you have it, to what you do and how you do it and why you do it. So in the same way then, if, if our worship, right, if, our, if the object of our corporate worship is Jesus, who is the object of your worship at work? Honestly, who is the real object of your worship when you are working? If God is truly the object of worship when we're working, then again, what we're doing will reflect it. Why we do it will reflect it. How we do it will reflect it. But if work, if work is not worship for us, if work is not worship for you, but it's something you must do begrudgingly, that whole song, everybody's working for the weekend, if work is just, I just got to get through it so that I can do all these other things, you may be missing God's heart and work may be an idol and you may be your own idol. We might be really guilty of idolatry here. 
This is an easy area to overlook because work is something we all have to do. So it's, it's easy to overlook the ways in which it can become a God to us or we become our own gods in the way that we work. And this is what we see happening in Isaiah 44. We see this uh, case where you see folks and, and, and God is actually calling out uh, the, the children of Israel for the ways in which they have worked hard, but how they have used their work to fashion false gods. Their motives for working were not necessarily rooted in bringing God glory. They were looking to bring either themselves glory or a false god glory. Take a look at some of the things that he highlights. I'm starting, when you look at verse 12, so here, here God is, he's using Isaiah, and Isaiah is speaking to the people and bringing this railing accusation against these folks who are working hard. And before we even go any further, understand, we were always meant to work hard. Always meant to work hard. If you try to find ways out of just working hard, uh, you have to question the motives behind that. We, we've talked about this in our Theology of Work series. Take a look at that. But when we talk, we highlighted one thing. You remember, work preceded the fall. Remember? That means we were always meant to work. The idea that work itself is bad and, oh, we have to work. If it, if it weren't for Adam and Eve, no, we're always supposed to work. Our work is frustrated now because of our sin. Work is harder because of our sin. But we were always supposed to work. Why? Because we were created by a God that came on the scene working. We were made in the image of a God who has dirt under his fingernails because he came on the scene working. So every time you're working, on some level, you should be imaging the God that came on the scene working. That's what we're called to do. So we have to check our motives right out of the gate. Oh, this job, I got to go to my... We even have to check that because that's the heart of an idolater. That's not the heart of a worshiper. So you look at uh, how God starts talking to these folks who are working very hard. It can be so easy to overlook because we almost need to separate what we're going to read here into what people do and then why they do it. Because everybody can do a lot of the same things. What we do, ostensibly, on the surface, we could all be doing the same thing and assume that we're doing it for the same reasons. And altogether, we're not. So you look at verse 12. Here God is. He's talking to these folks. Who should, he's already said earlier, you need to be worshiping no other God but the Lord. We see that saying, God saying that over and over again. I'm a jealous God. Have no other gods before me. And it's beyond just actual specifically named gods. It's don't act in such a way. Don't live in such a way. Don't work in such a way where you are truly looking for greater satisfaction than anything else other than me. And he says in verse 12, the iron worker labors over the coals shapes the idol with hammers and works it with his strong arm. Look at some of the language he uses. Iron worker labors, shapes with hammers, works with a strong arm. These things are good things. They're pleading people in this, in this church right now. This is what they do. This is their job, to work, specifically uh, labor and, and working hard. And they, Most people will say there's nothing better than that feeling of a job well done. You've worked hard. You've gotten this thing done. There was a need. You met the need. You had the skill set. You had the tools, whatever it is. That in and of itself is a good thing. But the question is why? To what end? Look at uh, verse 13. He uses other words. The woodworker stretches out a measuring line, outlines with a stylus, shapes it with chisels. Again, good, solid work. 
that we should all be able or be willing to do, whether it's this or some other form of work. Verse 14, cuts down cedars for its use, takes a cypress or an oak, lets it grow strong, plants a laurel, and the rain makes it grow. You're seeing various different forms of, of labor and trades and people who are working really, really hard. God is pointing out, listen, you guys are really good at this. You guys have done this. You are skilled. You have spent a lot of time. You realize that all these things that they're doing, it takes, it takes real time. It takes time paying attention to what you're doing. These are people who are working just as hard, if not harder, than all of us here who work really hard. So they spent this time working, doing these laudable forms of labor. And this is the kind of work we're supposed to be able to do. Again, we came on the scene working, imaging a God that works. But the question has to be asked, who is the ultimate object of their work? What is our actual object? Who is our object of our work? In these folks' case, it was not God. In these folks' case, their cases, the object of their worship was themselves and some false god. Or maybe even in their mind and in our minds, we think that we're worshiping God, but we've actually remade him into something else. And then that's what we're worshiping. We may even have a few verses we can quote to say, well, I'm doing this because God said X, Y, and Z, so this is why I'm doing it. And they may even do, may be doing a good thing, but their motives are rooted in something completely different. This is why we got to check our motives, y'all, because we can honestly be doing a good thing and everybody else is patting you on the back, but you know that your motive behind this is not to really bring glory. God is not the object of the worship. Either getting praise is the object of the worship, being noticed is the object of the worship, and so in so doing, we actually turn that into an idol in and of itself. These folks, God was never the object of their worship when they were working. We see that because they were fashioning. You see the, the second half of each one of those verses. Look at how each one of those verses end. In verse 12, not only he said earlier, yes, the iron worker labors over coal, shapes with hammers, works with a strong arm. What happens uh, towards the end? And he grows hungry, strength fails, doesn't drink, and is faint. Verse 13, in response to the woodworker, doing the work that the woodworker does, makes it according to human form, like a beautiful person to dwell in a temple. And then you look at uh, the response to verse 14, the cutting down the cedars and using it, uh, uh, letting it grow strong, planting a laurel, letting it grow. You respond to that in verses 14 through 16. He uses, for he uses it for fuel, warms himself, bakes bread, makes it into a god and worships it. Burns half the wood for fire, roasts meat with that half, and is satisfied. And then looks at what they've been able to provide for themselves and say, I am warm. I see the blaze. I see the fruit of my labor. I see the work that I've actually done. And then they make an idol out of the rest of it. It's easy to look at these folks not back then and go, these ridiculous idolaters. I mean, they, because, because looking at them, you've got clear idols in front of you. You've got like a little wooden or, you know, some kind of shaped God, some kind of borderline human looking thing that they're worshiping. So it's easy to highlight that and go, see, that right there is bad. But you realize beyond what your hands are doing, the question is, what is your heart doing? Because that's where real idolatry happens. The hands are just an outflow of what the heart already believes and feels. So you've got these folks who are really manifesting this idolatry deep within their heart. Now, what am, I, what am I talking about here? If you treat work like it is ultimately about you or your comfort or your loved ones and not about imaging God and glorifying him, 
You will make an idol out of your work. You will lack integrity in your work, and you will find yourself ensnared in sin. If you make your work about you, your comfort, your family, at a higher level than you do about what it means to glorify God in my work, you are likely an idolater. This is what God is calling these folks out for. And we struggle with this because, again, we've separated how we look at our lives and our work lives. Like, it's almost like I got to get, get the money the way I need to get my money. I keep that separate. And, I, and then how I live my personal life, that's something that's separate. And God is saying the two should be intertwined because all of life is worship. So if every aspect of your life is a function of worship, you need to check your job. You need to check how you do your job. We need to check why we do our job. This happens a lot in, in uh, nowadays, and the way we do it nowadays, we may not carve out fake gods or little trinkets, but what we will do is we'll take, you'll see this in the arts, you'll see this in some people's uh, vocations, you'll take something inanimate, and then you'll give it human qualities, right? There's a word for that. There's a two, two kind of compound, there's a compound word of two Greek words, uh, this idea of anthropomorphism. And it simply just means anthro means man or human, and morph means to change. We change inanimate objects into something to have human qualities. We imbue human qualities on it. What am I talking about? Well, we got artists in here, recording artists or even visual artists. It's really common for people to be like, I just do this for the art. I do this for the love of music. That sounds good. Again, love of music isn't necessarily bad. But here's what God is trying to show you. You might have this inanimate object and you're giving it human abilities, but guess what? It can't keep you warm. This thing that you're doing, no matter how good it is, it cannot satisfy you and you're trusting it to. You'll see people do that within, uh, uh, I heard a comedian once say, you know, I, I just do these things for the comedy of it all. I'm rooted in just the laughter of it all. You realize that that can't sustain you either. And what will happen is, if my number one goal is the art, if my number one goal is the music, if my number one goal is the comedy, I won't care what I step on. I won't care ways that I don't image God well, as long as that stuff happens. If the music stays good, the worship can sit on the side. If the art is praised, the worship can sit on the side. If, if I get enough laughs, the worship can stay on the side. You hear that in sports. I do it for the love of the game. If you give to the game, the game will give it back. That sounds like idolatry. <laughs> it, it's not to say that there's nothing to working hard and expecting to get rewarded for things that you do, but ultimately we create gods out of these things. And it's funny, it's not funny, it's sad. When you look at people specifically in entertainment and the arts, we got folks that can speak to this, sometimes these folks are some of the most depressed people you'll ever meet. Sometimes the, the people who are working really hard, top of the mountain folks, executives, some of the loneliest, saddest people you'll ever meet. Why? Because they did trust on some level that this was going to satisfy their deepest and greatest longings. I saw a psychologist write about how you'll see this amongst comedians. Some of the funniest comedians oftentimes are some of the most depressed people because their job is to what? Work for the audience approval. So their whole job is, I got to make you laugh. If I make you laugh, then I'm in your good graces for now. But that laughter ends at some point. And now you're going, what's next? Where do you go next? How do you satisfy this longing to be accepted, this longing to feel like you're, you're loved and you're cared for and you're wanted? 
You see this in music as well. People all of a sudden go, I was hot 10 years ago. Nobody wants to buy my music anymore. I thought that I was important. They said I was the best, whatever, 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 back then, and now no one wants to hear me. Or they want me to go on a tour of my greatest hits because they don't expect any more hits to be coming out. See, this is, this is the scary thing. You see this among athletes. People retire. They've been top of the mountain, and now it's like, where's my relevance? Whatever it is that you've done or whatever it is that you're doing, you've got to ask yourself. We've got to ask ourselves, what is the actual motive behind it? How am I changing what is not human, possibly into human, and then start worshiping it? You see, in this passage, God makes it so obvious that we are so frail. We are prone to do this. This isn't just some off-the-wall, crazy situation. This is us. Every one of us on some level, we've created some type of an idol somewhere. You know I know? Because every one of us still has sin. And if there's some level of sin, there's idolatry at work. So maybe it's not work. Maybe it's something else. But where are those idols? And so you see, in, in many ways, what's sad is, and what God is really showing us is, your idols are incapable of loving you back. They just can't love you back. As much as you give to it, as much as you give to it, the top people in almost any industry, eventually it ends. And then they're sitting here going, I mean, I may have money from it, that's great, but some of my deepest longings, they still aren't satisfied. And, and when, you, when you think about this and you start thinking through then what should be our motivation for work, who should be our object? If we saw our work as worship, that's going to sound crazy. Monday should excite us. See, that's hard, isn't it? <laughs> Monday should excite us on some level. It can be hard. It can be difficult. But Monday should excite us because we're like, listen, okay, I come together on Sunday with the, the church united and gathered. That's amazing. The moment I go out, if I'm living all of life as worship, guess what? I get to live out a life of worship at work now. And that goes beyond just finding ways to start a Jesus conversation at work. Finding ways, I call it the Jesus juke, right? Got you over here and I brought you over here. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> that's not what we're doing. You like that crossover, Dwight? You like that? <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's, that's what we do. We find a way and go, great, I lived up my faith at work. But guess what? We were an hour late at work. We didn't see that as worship, did we? Some of us will laugh about it, brag about it. I was late, but y'all know I got... You realize that that's what idolaters do? You see, if our work is worship then we're broken over the times that we steal time from our employer. Honestly, it shouldn't even just be, oh, that's messed up, y'all got to just forgive. It's got to be like, I am broken because I realize that A, I've stolen from my employer. B, I tell everybody that I'm imaging a God and I'm trying to live out the attributes of who God is. I tell everybody that God is an on-time God, but I'm late. Who are we telling people God is? Our work is a form of worship, y'all. It's not just something extra. This is a part of our life. And so you get uh, ways that idolatry manifests itself. And our idolatry, man, specifically with work, work idolatry, it, it'll manifest itself in one of two ways. It'll either be vocational idol, uh, idolatry or vocational idleness. Vocational idolatry or vocational idleness. We do vocational idolatry in this way. We operate as if our jobs hold the key to our ultimate satisfaction. 
So what does it look like if somebody struggles with vocational idolatry? Again, we're not talking about jobs that are bad. Don't, you know, we're not even, it's easy. Sometimes people go, hey, here's an example of like vocational idolatry. Then they pick this horrible, reprehensible job that somebody does and go, well, at least I'm not that. At least I'm not out doing this illegal thing. At least I'm not involved in these indecent acts. No, these are, we're talking about jobs, any good, reputable job. Insert that. Here's what we'll do, though, when we're looking for our job to give us ultimate satisfaction. We'll work too many hours. See, that's what, when we talk about workaholics, this is what we're talking about. It's not just like I had to work extra hours this time. It's as a, as a, as a way that I work, I will exceed, uh, even when it affects other people around me, I will exceed that because the work matters. And it's not that the work doesn't matter, but the work matters in such a way that I cannot be satisfied well if I don't do it at this clip, which means if it affects other people, it doesn't matter. I heard a pastor say this one time, and I'll never forget it. He said, sometimes if you're doing a job and you're getting the job done, but you might be getting it done at a B-plus level versus an A-plus level, but you're loving your family well and you're loving your community well and it's not being taken away from, then that's an A-plus effort to God. Now, that's hard because there's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of nuance in that, right? But ultimately, we got to be really careful for those of us that are type A charged, do everything with excellence. We want to do everything with excellence, but excellence can actually be an idol as well. Because I want to do X, Y, and Z to this level, even if it means here's who's going to be affected in my wake. That's vocational idolatry. Maybe we have a heart that finds its sense of well-being in what we do. So what does that mean? If, if work is going well and my professional stock is rising, life is good. If work's a struggle right now, and, and maybe uh, I've, my, my work is not really truly going as well as I want, my sense of well-being fades or even collapses. It's not that what we do doesn't matter, but our greatest identity shouldn't even be in that, right? It's easy to say, but it's really difficult to wrestle through because we live in a culture that actually gives you far more praise for what you do than who you are. As a matter of fact, most of us, when you see people who are famous, you have no idea who they are. It, what's funny, I go back to the arts because it's interesting, specifically with music, we think we know people because we know their lyrics. But for many of those folks, their lyrics ain't their life. For many of those, those folks, in a lot of ways, the lives that they live, they almost have to hold that back in order to make the music because they don't actually, you know, you get some people who come out and they're known to be like really, really happy, 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 and the music is happy, 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 but their lives are really, really sad and they're like, I can't put this in my music because this is where my bread is buttered, so they just have to keep putting out something that's not even authentically them. But we care more about what you do than who you are. You're praised more for what you do than who you are. And you'll always feed that for which you are praised most. So if I'm praised for doing X, Y, and Z, then that's what I'll do. It's the reason why if, if somebody, if, if we love sports, I love sports, if we love football and there's a football player that does incredible, incredible numbers, wins uh, championships, does all these things, but there's something really horrible that displays who they are in their personal lives, we will bend over backwards to overlook it. We've been over backwards to make excuses. Why? Because they're on my fantasy team. I got a game this week. Or they're on my team that I root for, and, I, and they were pivotal for a certain championship, something that I want to see happen. We do that in so many areas. Okay, it doesn't even have to be sports. It can be our favorite political person. 
That's a politician. Our favorite politician. <laughs> I'm tired, y'all. It can be that. And it's like, okay, they, there are certain things about this particular platform that I care so much about, and because they're about doing this, and they're going to do this work, and this is what they do, but I find out all these other things about their character, but I don't care about that because what they do is more important to me than who they are. We create idols out of each other. We actually tell people, work like an idolater because that's all I want from you. So, so, so how then do we start to look at within and go, hey, I, I, sometimes I might need help. As a matter of fact, a lot of us, we need help in a lot of ways. But we need help from each other, which means in relationship with each other, in discipleship with each other. Sometimes we need people to step in and go, hey, how does, how does work and idolatry work for you right now? How, how does it work for you right now? You're working a lot. We can often, this is the one time, this is the one area where it's almost a badge of honor. When people go, hey, how you been? I've just been busy. I've just been busy. There's a lot in that. You could be busy for very good reasons. I don't know why you're busy. I don't know if there are things that you could actually have something to, sometimes you're busy because you're making yourself busy because there's some sense of self-worth out of just being busy. We need, we need to be checked on that. We need to be asking each other, hey, what... What do rhythms of rest look like? Or, hey, what do your work habits look like? Here's another question amongst vocational idolatry. Do we work primarily in a way or as a way to make a name for ourselves? A way of providing unfailing security for ourselves. And look, don't hear me say success isn't bad. Success isn't bad. Success is good. Success is good. Success is not something that that better get ripped off that video, that audio. <laughs> Success isn't bad. Success is good. Success is something that we should all be, be wanting to see happen. However, the question, get it out of your minds. However, the, the bigger question has to be: so how do I steward this success? Am I stewarding success for myself? Do I want success so that I can enlarge self? Or do I want success so that I can actually steward that for those who don't have it? That's actually what real uh, uh, marrying your work with worship looks like. See, that's why we say if you don't get this, if we don't get this right, if we don't understand that work should be worship, if it's not worship, ultimately it's worthless. It doesn't mean that the work itself doesn't have value. It doesn't mean that it doesn't help others. All of those things are true. But spiritually, when it comes to our relationship with God and the clear conscience we should have before God about how we work, if work isn't worship, it's completely worthless. That's what people feel when all they've been doing is trusting that and they come to the end and they're utterly depressed because they're realizing that work was cool, it was great, but for me right now in my deepest, loneliest moment, it is worthless. Then we have the other way of doing this. We've got obviously the first way where, where work is kind of the controlling, uh, the, the way that it controls us and, and success driven and what it means to care about what people think, all these other things. It's this controlling definition of work and we allow it to become an idol. Then you've got this vocational idleness. This is where we operate as if God doesn't really care about our jobs. We work in such a way where it's like, I'm working, I'm here. I'm getting the job done. God really doesn't care that much as long as I'm here. I haven't hurt anybody. I haven't specifically sinned against anybody. So here's what that looks like. What I said earlier, it means I might not do my job well. 
And then because of my idolatry of me, I'll actually tr- either, I'll get, you, you realize I've been in places where maybe even we've, I think maybe some of us may have been, even been guilty of this. You can be at work and maybe you didn't, may, maybe something happens and you don't do your job well and then all of a sudden uh, we get called out for it and then we get angry for getting called out for not doing the job that we get paid to do. And then we're so mad at them for calling. This is like what we talked about, like even in marriage, when people are like, they get so mad at each other and they can't deal with the issue, so they start arguing about how they're arguing. Why you got to be so loud when you say it? You're still wrong, okay? <laughs> and this is what happens when we have this, this, this idolatry of self when, as it relates to work. We get into this idleness where we don't do our work well and we are so we, we don't like being called out by it. Why? Because our image matters more than our integrity. That's why we don't like being called out when we don't do a good job. Because our image, our view of ourselves, matters far more than actually having real integrity. And so this idea of maybe for some of us, we don't get the job done. Some of us, we waste time. Some of us slack off. Some of us just being unproductive. And, and some of us, none of that is the case. We still get the job done. And just getting the job done doesn't mean that you're not idle. Even if you get the work done, doesn't mean that you're not idle. The issue isn't idleness of your hands. It's the idleness of your heart. So what's happening on a heart level? Am I just going through the emotions or the motions, doing the mechanics of my job, Right? I'm doing the mechanics of the job, I'm doing it with efficiency, I'm doing it with productivity, but I lose sight of God's purpose for me in that job. See, it's great to be like, hey, I got this stuff done, I did it, they can't get me this week, (laughs) I did what I have to do, but the question is, and we've said this during our Theology of Work series, right? We're going to say it every time we talk about this, God uses you to get work done, and God uses work to get you done. And so if you start thinking, Lord, what are you doing in me in this, in this work? This is where the motivation comes to be like, I'm going to do this with, with integrity. Even if I can't stand this person I work with, or even if I can't stand certain things about it, as long as I'm not doing work itself that breaks the heart of God, then I'm going, okay, I've got to do this irrespective of who the people are that I'm working with. If I believe in what God is doing and I believe that what I'm doing is actually still good work, how do I do that with a clear conscience? How do I do that without turning myself into my own idol? How do I do that so I don't lose sight of what God is doing? Some see work as just a means to an end. I work so I can play. I work so I can provide. Or I can give. I work so I can give to my church. Here's the problem. This this ignores the fact that God has purposes for us in work itself. This This is where we have to really sit back and go, Lord, what is it about work? If God, you know, you realize that we saw this, we played this out in our sermon on this, that not only was work before the fall, work is going to be after ultimate consummation when Jesus returns. We're actually going to be working. And work won't be hard. Work won't be frustrating. And so if we keep telling everybody, hey, we want to be a picture of the kingdom that's coming, then it's hard to do this, but how do we fight so that we can actually make our work real worship? Every single day, that should be the challenge. How do I make work real worship? So for some of us, idleness is the thing. Some of us, the the vocational idolatry is the thing. Some of us, some of us, 
We don't have a, th- a, a proper theology of work and we're just lazy. You realize that laziness is a real form of real idolatry of self. You see, because honestly, if God is the object of your work again, is worship, then there would never be a place to be lazy because you're like, Lord, I realize I'm here almost in a lot of ways, and this is actually something I'm looking forward to us doing down the road. You know, a lot of times when we have, uh, you'll have a missionary and we'll support a missionary, and in a lot of churches, it'll be common to bring that missionary to whatever country that they're in, and we'll bring elders and leaders down and lay hands on them and send them out because we exalt the call of the missionary above the call of the worker or the laborer or wherever else people work. You realize that we should be in the situation in our small groups or in church where we are laying hands on each other saying, you are on mission at your job. You are on mission where you work. Whatever it is that you do, our job as in building each other up is to say, how do we make sure that the image of God is on display where you work, how you do your job, why you do your job? That rarely comes up in the midst of our discipleship conversations, because we'll talk about other important things, vitally important things. It's happening as a matter of my personal conduct and how I'm engaging in relationships and, and how I'm loving my family and how I'm uh, uh, living as a citizen. But the other question is like, what are your work habits? Sometimes that might mean that we might be in a conversation with friends and we, we feel safe and we'll just share some things about work. And in loving each other, we hear it. Hey, I hear that. That's really hard. But we also need to be able to go, hey, by the way, you know that wasn't right. If you don't have people that can do that with you, you need new friends. And if you're not a person that can do that lovingly, you're probably not the friend you think you are. Because ultimately, yeah, like we, we want to love each other, and it's, it's, it's important to be liked by each other, but ultimately, I need you to help me look more like Jesus. I don't need you to help me look like a better me. I need you to help me look like Jesus. So if there's something about the way that I work, or there's something about my motives and how I work or why I work, I need you to help me check that. I need you to help me correct that. This is why we should not just be working for the weekend. Again, weekends are great. Relaxation is great. Rest is good. God commands it. But, and, and there's a lot, there's nuance there, but the question is, why? It's, it's not bad to look forward to rest. It's not, look, it's not bad to look forward to being recharged, but if working for the weekend means lazily working or acting like you don't care about your job, then you are at the center of your job and God isn't. You've made yourself into an idol. So here's what I want to charge you to do here. And I think we even see this even in the life of Jesus. When you think about what Jesus came doing, we, we, we bring it up all the times in Philippians. We bring up the fact that Jesus didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, right? But he humbled himself, even to the point of being a servant and died for us. He models this incredible picture of all of the work that I do, I do for people outside of me. All of the work that I do, I do in such a way so that I bring praise to the Father and flourishing to my neighbor. So the question that we have to ask, or the the way we need to think about work, whether it's quote-unquote ministry, even though I hate separating the two, just all of life, the, the, the way we need to be thinking about it is this. There's both vine work and trellis work. Oh, this is good because I need to actually, this, this might really hit some people, but let me just say this. Y'all, we need to think about this the way we even serve at church. 
This is a big thing, and I promise it's even just some self-serving, let's guilt them into doing more. This is more of like, you may not ever do anything more. Check your motives with how you serve each other and serve the church. That means there should never be a reason outside of uh, extenuating circumstances. There should never be a reason why we have a pattern of being late to stuff here. If, if, If everything is worship and we're trying to model that well, there should not be a reason why that happens. Because there are other things that we would never be late to if we knew the reward was great. So so when it's time to serve, there should be no reason why we just have this habitual way of just not showing up or habitual way of being late. And if we have that, then that needs to be checked. Here at the church, we have uh, times where if you're serving and you've got, and all of a sudden you can't serve, then you find somebody to fill in for you, right? Right? It shouldn't just be like, hey, it's the day of, oh, yeah, you know, my bad, I'm sorry. Couldn't really. Many of us wouldn't even do that with our jobs. And again, the reason why I say this isn't just because, I promise, this just hit right now. Nobody told me to say anything about this. But here's why this is important. As your pastor, as a shepherd, I need to actually make sure, and I care deeply about what's happening on a heart level. Your habits, your work habits, your punctuality issues, those are things that are reflective of deep spiritual things. When there's a habit of this, there's deep. It may even mean that that it may not mean that there's anything main, you know, horribly horrible that's happening. But it might mean this person has a very low view of the church because they would have greater integrity with doing things at work than they would here at the church. Which, if that's the case, what must your relationship with God look like? Because Jesus died for the church. Jesus, as much as the church is, I'm not even talking icon, as much as, G, as the, the church has warts and, and ugly aspects and hurt and pain within the church, yet Jesus was punctual enough to show up and die. What is it in us that makes us have this view? Maybe church is the one place where we get to worship ourselves more? That's something that needs to change. Now, it doesn't just mean in service. It also means what it means to serve each other. So, so, so let's go back. Think about this in, in two ways. Work. We've got vine work and trellis work. Folks who have done gardening and worked in, 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 in uh, flowers, vegetables, fruits, they understand this really well. When you've got, you've got issues, if you plant something and it starts to grow, that's great. And you want to focus on vine work. You want to focus on the, the thing growing. You want to focus on getting enough water, making sure the soil is rich, making sure it's getting enough sunlight. All those things are really, really important. Then you get the situation where some of these vines, they grow really, really high. And they grow for a while. So you need structural stuff. You need a trellis in place to keep it going in the direction it needs to go. It's not just growth in and of itself, it's directed growth to make sure that the growth doesn't go in the wrong direction. So we need to be people who are going, Lord, help me to be able to tie whatever my job is, whether it's vine work, whether it's trellis work, help me A, to see where you are in this. Even if the company isn't necessarily expressly Christian, what does it mean for me to see your image in this? How do I connect to your image in this? in such a way that I can see this as an extension of my worship. Because if I don't, then I've probably made myself an idol or something else an idol. There's probably a lack of integrity somewhere, and there may be a sinful posture in my heart that displeases God. 
This is what it means for us to make all of life about him. We say it, it's all about you. We sing it, it's all about you. Until it's time to do real work. Until it's time to, to, to maybe challenge some of our own heart idols. You know, we've said this over and over again, that the heart is just one big idol factory. We will find ways to worship ourselves. We will find ways to take really good things somehow and turn them into ultimate objects of worship and then get angry when we get called out about it. And so this is our time now to go, Lord, give us a vision. Give us the same vision that Jesus had, that Jesus has. Jesus has this vision to see genuinely people growing and directed, us having real direction. How do we do that so that we're not idolaters, y'all? This is really the heart of God. So my prayer is that I really, I really hope that all of us here start thinking through what we do. Be honest. What do I do? Whether, it's, whether I'm working, whether I'm home, what do I do? Why do I do it? What are the, what's the object here? Who is the object? Do I see my work as worship? Because I promise you, if you don't, God says that it's actually worthless and it will fail you. This is more than just shaming people. There's something we're yearning for that can't possibly satisfy y'all. There's something we're pursuing and running after that cannot satisfy and so my, my goal with all of this is just to disabuse you of this idea that if I work harder, I'll be more satisfied. That if I do this thing this way, I'll be more satisfied. Hard work is great, and it may need to happen. But I, the bigger goal is, Lord, I pray that you not just give me a checklist on how to fix the idleness of my hands or the idolatry of my hands. God, I need the idleness and the idolatry of my heart to be completely plucked out. And when we do that, that's when we start turning our work into real worship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is, this is a hard issue for all of us. We, are, we live in a country that prides us on. We pride ourselves on our busyness. We pride ourselves on our ability to accomplish much. We pride ourselves on the ability to multitask and have any number of things going at one time. And if, if we can do all of those things well, and we do all of those things satisfactorily, we feel great about ourselves. And God, some of that is great. Some of us are able to do that, and we're thankful for that. But God, beyond just the things that are observable, Beyond the things that we can measure, the things that we can test, the things that we can see, God, I pray that you see our heart. I know that you see our heart. I pray that you would expose these areas of our heart that where we have made these things into idols. God, I pray that maybe some of us have taken our work, our labor, our vocation, and we've used that in a way to worship ourselves. God, some of us, we worship the vocation itself. Some of us, we worship what it is that we do. And sadly, God, for many of us, it's a convenient way of hiding from you and hiding from ourselves. So God, rescue us from ourselves. Rescue us from a, a, a disordered love of work or a disordered love of self. God, give us, give us this deep, deep jealousy for your glory in our work lives 
God, I pray that we would never even have to qualify work lives. I pray that our lives would be so integrated that all of life is worship, including our work. And God, let this be done not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, not that we can feel better about ourselves. God, I pray we would do this because we want to see your glory. We want to see your image. We want to make your name famous at home and at work, in our cities, in our nation. God, we pray that this will be done, your will on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this table, ultimately what we're doing is proclaiming the very thing that we just spent time reading and studying and preaching through. Ultimately, what we're doing is we're saying, God, we realize that we are so good at making idols. We are so good at making the really good things into idols. We're so good at finding convenient ways to completely overlook you, even though we would never say it. And ultimately, we realize that we don't even have it in us to fix all of this ourselves. We just don't. Because you know what will happen. You'll find out one idol's over here, so you'll find a new way, a new idolatry that moves you away from that, and you'll be like, okay, I'm good now. Nope, you got idols over here now. Because that's what we do. That's our nature. And so what, we, what we're saying is we are so thankful that Jesus loved us so much. Our Father God loved us so much to send his son and say, hey, listen, that idol factory that you have in your heart that you can't fix, I'm coming to fix it. That thing in you that keeps you rebelling against me, that keeps you from really seeing things with my eyes, hearing things with my ears, feeling things with my heart, those things you can't quite get right, I came to make it right. I came and the way I did it is I came and I gave my body, I gave my blood, I died in your place on your behalf so that you can then get my righteousness. That is the only answer, that's the only antidote to real idolatry of all kinds. This deep humility that is brought because of what Christ has already done and what he promises to do. So if this is where you are, if you're able to really see, I really see these areas that are idols for me. If you can even see the, the quasi good things that you do, but see the motives behind it and go, Lord, I see these are real idols. This is your table. This isn't for the people that can identify idols. This, this is for those that truly know, I know I have these. And it's not just I acknowledge that I have these, I'm broken. I'm broken. If this is you, then this is your table. And you come, taking this, you come to this table not just hanging your head in shame. You come to this table knowing if Jesus is who he said he was, if he really rose from the grave with the power of God himself, if he truly did that, then he has the power to keep his promise to be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to forgive us of our idolatry. Now, if that's not you, then let this time pass. Not because we're trying to see who's in and who's out, but let Jesus do work where you are. There's really no reason to fake any of this stuff. Because guess what? That would be a form of idolatry too. I'm going to come because I care about how I'm looking right now. Listen, the folks here who know Jesus, and nobody's going to be looking going, that person didn't or that person did. No, because we've all been there. We all know it's just because of the grace of God that we're not even more succumb, overcome by idols than we are. So we're coming right now. If this is, if it, for you, maybe we pray that maybe this may be the first time for somebody to go, I see this. I see this. My heart is truly broken. And these other ways that I've created to try to rescue myself, it doesn't work. 
My work habits, they don't work. My refusal to work, that don't work. None of these things are working well for me. And my prayer is that this might be the first time that those of us, that somebody may come as an unredeemed idolater and go, I see where my help is. I see where my strength is. I see where my redeemer is. The only person worthy of my worship in my life, in my heart, in my mind is Jesus. And our prayer would be that this would be your first time coming and communing with God and his family. As our volunteers come, we want to remind you that here at all, at also at, at Icon, I appreciate it this morning. Uh, here at Icon, we do uh, uh, communion by the process of intinction. And so what that means is starting in the back, you'll walk down the middle aisle, come take a piece of gluten-free bread, take a piece of that, dip it in wine or juice as you see fit. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he got up at this table, table full of idolaters. He's got somebody that's been sneaking their hand in the coins, stealing money out. Got somebody else who's getting ready to completely ignore him because they care about how they look more than integrity. All of these folks that are like us, every shade of idolatry there. And he gets up and he looks at them and he says, this is my body given for you. Given for you, idolater, given for you. Take and eat of it. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup, this cup is my blood. Blood poured out for the remission of sins, canceling the payment we owe because of our own idolatry. This blood is the blood of a new covenant. In this new covenant, nobody else's blood is required but Jesus. Take and drink of this and do this in remembrance of me. Here's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. He says that every single time we do this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. This is what we're saying. This is more than just religiosity. This is more than just uh, ritual. We're saying we're coming right now realizing the level of idolatry is great. And if it weren't for Jesus, all we would have is nothing but depression and brokenness because there's no answer out of this. But we're saying that our greatest hope, the only thing we can trust in to rework our hearts is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we proclaim this until he returns. Every time we remember this, what ought to be almost every second, we remember this and we proclaim it. So if this is where your hope is, if this is where your trust is, then come proclaim, be reminded, taste and see that our God, our Savior, the only one worthy of our worship, is indeed good. Let's eat together.